This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. Stand by, 15 seconds to air. Stand by, old camera, and videotape. Ready with your opening graphics. Stand by, Howard. Here we come, Frank. Ready, Don. Stand by, audio, your opening music, and roll tape. Take tape. Celebrating 150 years of college football. To say the moment of truth is here is corny and old-fashioned, but it's a fact. It's the one you circle on your calendar. You live with this son of a bitch for 365 days every year. It's the one that'll make or break your year. As those games get closer on the calendar, you can't hide from it. The closer you are together, the more friction there's bound to occur. And they're tearing down Michigan's covenant that's a rivalry the long-standing rivalries are the ones that matter most two giants coming together both playing for keeps none can compare with this intrastate rivalry rivalry games are a tremendous part of the evolution of college football hate gets people out of the bed and so does revenge rivalry is definitely the fuel of college football without rivals it's kind of hard to distinguish yourself some of the best rivalries are built around the identities of the people in the cities that they live in. There's some real hate involved. We're not just talking about the game no more. We're talking about life in general. You don't lose one of those games. You got beat. Humans are hardwired to understand that they belong to a group that isn't another group. We see it at every point in our society. Boxers or briefs, craft brew or PBR. Whatever you do, it says something about you. Sports have always been tribal. And college football is the most tribal of sports. Sports is about identification. And a central part of identification is determining who's on your side. But you can't really determine who's on your side unless you know who's against you. College football is a place where rivalries are institutionalized. It's not just my team's better than your team. It's our culture is better than your culture. Our state 
is better than your state. We're here to witness one of the great confrontations between Southern University and Grambling. Listen, when I was growing up, I didn't know anything about Democrat versus Republican. I just knew about who the, the rivalry was for the college football team. Good, solid hit. As a household that was Southern University household. Quarterbacks hit, touchdown, Grambling. We hated Grambling. I grew up in South Florida, and the number one team that I rooted for were the Miami Hurricanes. I sat next to my dad watching Miami, and he taught me at an early age, you don't like Florida State. In certain rivalries, you've got three, four generations of fans passing along their fan support from grandparent to parent to child to grandchild, and it comes part of who I am, it's who we are. And so Saturday afternoon is part of a tradition. Sometimes it's social, sometimes it's family, sometimes it's just the love of sport. Winning a football game comes to represent a certain conviction that you're not only better, but that you're more right. <laughs> Harvard and Yale, it's certainly a natural academic rivalry, the two of the oldest universities in the country, but they also came to college football on different paths. Yale early on because of who brought the game to that campus got to 11 men on a side pretty quickly. Harvard was playing as many as 20 players and they went down to 15. But I always loved the fact that Yale and Harvard, even back at the beginning of the sport, were rivals in how they looked at things. From the very beginning of the game between Harvard and Yale, everyone seemed to sense that this was to be a most dramatic afternoon. In 68, Yale was actually ranked. And I don't care where they're ranked, they were ranked. That's a big deal. Harvard is also undefeated. They're playing this colossal game. In the second quarter of this ancient Ivy Classic, known to many as the game, Brian Dowling scored his second touchdown. Yale was supposed to win, and they're crushing Harvard 29 to 13. It's in the fourth quarter. And it's 29 to 19. 42 seconds left. Harvard scores 16 points. A precise pass to Vic Gatto in the end zone as time ran out. And the game ends 29-29. This was Harvard's season right here. Champion to Dick Varney for the two points that completed the Crimson Comeback Miracle. The Harvard Crimson, the student paper, writes, Harvard beats Yale, 29-29. Math be damned, that was accurate. The fiercest rivalries tend to be the backyard rivals. He'll throw it on first down, limber up He's the yard, going deep down the field, it is caught. Quincy Miller is in for a score on the very first play from backup quarterback Joe Claire. Wow. I think it's really cool that the rivalry that's been played the most is not an Alabama-Auburn or an Ohio State-Michigan. It's Lehigh and Lafayette, two small schools in Pennsylvania, not that far apart. Davis, under pressure, being throwing downfield for her touchdown! Now, most people across the country, they're like Lehigh, Lafayette, they're not Power Five conferences, whatever. Because of their proximity to each other, that is a fierce rivalry. When Lehigh, Lafayette celebrated their anniversary at Yankee Stadium, and those tickets went on sale, they were gone like that. And that says everything about the nature of rivalry. You feud the loudest with your neighbor. Now Corral, the freshman, he's got his hand in the face mask. McCool has lost. Everybody charging out onto the field. Familiarity breeds contempt. Well, he has trouble with the snap, and the ball is free, and he scores on the last play of the game. 
I mean, it's just like siblings, right? You're around each other all the time. You're in my space a little bit. Let's fight it out. I mean, that's kind of how it works. We're great buddies every day of the year, except, except today. <laughs> when teams have these rivalries, what they're really talking about is the rivalry between the fan base. On the first quarter ends in front of the jam-packed house at Grand Forks, North Dakota. I went to the University of North Dakota. At the time, the University of North Dakota's huge rival was North Dakota State. I'm sure from anybody else, anywhere living in the country, those people would seem identical. It has to sort of happen between people who are ultimately the same. But it seemed completely different. Freud called it the conceit of small differences. You could not tell with a shirt off who's who, of course. Change shirts, you couldn't tell the difference. A broken In trust-state rivalries, you know, you're drawing from the same population pool. Park wide open, man! Hockey Butler disappears! So what's all that different? Well, some of it's academic. You know, the difference between a liberal arts person and an engineer. Of course you're going to be rivals. Of course you don't think alike. No matter that you really are more alike than different, but that's a rivalry. And this is the scene of battle for the greatest of inner-city rivalries. Southern California meeting UCLA, a game that has been held annually for 37 years. In Los Angeles, USC and Boosie LA represent different sides of town. They mean different things in the city. When I played at UCLA, most of those guys on the other team, you know. When you're a player, you played against them in high school, or you played against them in junior college. Some of these people you went to parties with. Touchdown, Bruins! They're both wearing their home unis. They're playing to go to the Rose Bowl. They're playing to see who owns the city of Los Angeles. First down and more. There's Simpson. Look at that touch. O.J. Simpson. That's all she wrote. 64 yards. It's bragging rights. I get a whole year to bust my neighbor's chops if he if I if we win and he loses, you know. Alabama takes on the Auburn Tigers at Birmingham, and the Crimson Tide is up against a tiger of a different stripe this year. A friend of mine who was a preacher in Birmingham, his first Sunday service, this little old lady who's 85 years old walks up to him. He says, whose side are you on? He's like, whose side? He said, God's. He said, no, the one that matters, Auburn or Alabama. I think in the Deep South, they want a point of pride. The North has the big metropolitan cities and industry for all those decades, but they could kick ass at college football. Double wing formation, second and goal. Terry Davis, touchdown, Alabama. The fact that there aren't the pro sports teams, all the attention went to Saturday afternoon. You live with it year-round. I mean, if you wind up with it, then uh, you're around the Auburn people and vice versa all year, and uh, uh, somebody's going to have something to be unhappy about. Setbacks in the backfield. A pass with Unger hitting Beasley. I think that Alabama and Auburn is a great rivalry because the contests are so close. Because of their physical proximity in the state of Alabama, in many cases, they do literally need one another, right, as community members and things like that. 
the school's alumni have been married is a family brawl, in other words. Not a brawl, perhaps, but a family contest. Those games do bring some emotional uh, energy. For a lot of people, their manhood is determined by how their school does. Goes deep, got a man open. Touchdown! At the 2010 Iron Bowl, Alabama lost. Cam Newton leads his team from 24 down to a 28-27 victory in the Iron Bowl. Somebody put a Cam Newton jersey on the statue of Bear Bryant, which is just not okay. That's like drawing nipples on a statue of the Virgin Mary. You just don't do that. I think in the minds of a college football fan or anywhere in the world, they're not thinking rationally. Uh, I mean, they're fans. This year, I was at the Iron Bowl, and I saw where they put a Scam Newton jersey on Bear Bryant's statue. It was January 27th, 2011, late in a show, and I went to a guy uh, who called himself Al from Dadeville. The weekend after the Iron Bowl, I went to Auburn, Alabama, because I lived 30 miles away, sure. and I poisoned the two tumors trees. Is that against the, the, the law to poison a tree? Well, do you think I care? No. Okay, I really don't. Now police believe they have the man who did it in custody. Investigators say 62-year-old Harvey Almorn Updike Jr. of Dadeville poured the poison. They're a longtime symbol of Auburn University pride. A pair of oak trees at Tumor's Corner lovingly showered with toilet paper to celebrate big sports victories. So is that rational thinking? Of course not. You could write a PhD dissertation on his mindset. In the end, I have to say, I wasn't that surprised. I think the most intense rivalries are the border states, the Georgia, Floridas, the Texas, Oklahomas, Oregon, Washington. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The Ducks have the ball! The most improbable finish to the football game! You're divided by a border. It's your way of life. It's how you speak. There is a pride in that, and you think your way is better than their way. Cassidy crowd of 75,000 sees two arch rivals, Oklahoma and Texas, meet head on in Dallas. The Oklahoma game was so unique because it was at a neutral site, the State Fair of Texas. There were 300,000 people outside the stadium while the game was going on. It was always packed. The night before is traditionally a blowout. Uh, they advise pregnant women not to walk through the crowd, and they can't play the game at night because there's too much drinking. They don't want students and fans to be out at night. There's the blitz! Touchdown, Lehman! Touchdown, Oklahoma! Williams got him on the blitz! And cut it loose, turn it loose today. Cut and slash, don't worry about anything. You're the best team. That is a big game for the alumni of... Uh... Oklahoma. We worry about our Texas friends uh, because uh, we beat them so much. Because we don't have many people graduate from the University of Texas to come north of the Red River to make 11, but we have a lot of people graduate from OU that go south of the Red River to make 11 in Dallas and Houston. Fans are split right down the middle. Everybody gets the same amount of tickets. Whoever would win that game during my day, that governor had to buy that particular team 
dinner. Fortunate enough, I can say that does not mean hook them. That means I kicked their ass four years in a row. We bring you the Michigan-Ohio State game, and as you can see, the weather is pretty bad. One of the worst days for football we've ever had. Down for Michigan. There's some pass from center. The kick is good, and the score is 9-3. to three. All the excitement, color, pressure, anxiety, and charisma has been building up all week in both the Wolverine and Buckeye camps. Ohio State and Michigan. To me, that's one of the best rivalries in all of college football. Here they come, Hare, Middleton, and the Buckeyes. And they're tearing down Michigan's covenant in banner. Here's a look at Boston and Woodson on the outside. He's just standing there, now they're fighting. It's an important game, man. You, you see, I'm kind of, I'm getting a little bit riled up now. You know, when we think about the rivalry, we all think about Bowen Witty. Tim Beckler's first year baptism in 1969 had included a one-sided loss to Missouri. No one gave Bo's new team much of a chance against Ohio State. Woody Hayes and Ohio State, here they go in 69. They're heavily favored. He's undefeated. Uh, Ohio State fighting to be number one. Michigan looking for the Rose Bowl. And uh, Woody Hayes would like to win big today because perhaps then Ohio State could be named the team of the century. If we win this Michigan game, then I'll have to say it's the greatest season of my life, yes. No problem, they're gonna go up and teach Bo a lesson. Morehead looks. People forget that Bo learned a lot of stuff from Woody, former assistant coach under Woody Hayes. Ball is on the 22-yard line. Masajowski passes, it's intercepted by Michigan's Garden. Bo upsets him. And there it is, what has to be the upset of the century. Ruins their undefeated season, ruins their hopes of trying to win their second consecutive national championship. Remember, Bo Schembechler and Woody Hayes, essentially 10 years, 10-year war. He has Wakefield out, he's back for a pass. He has plenty of time, he throws downfield, and it is, it's intercepted, it's intercepted by Dart. Leach goes back to throw, down the middle, and it is intercepted by Ohio. It's Griffin. Griffin coming back to the 10, to the 5, and he's out of bounds on the 3. It was great theater, and sometimes it, that theater extended off the field. My favorite story about them is it had gotten really ugly, and the two guys are going back and forth in the media, and this local politician calls them over to his home, and the mediation doesn't go well, and Woody Hayes has rammed into the back of Bo Schemboker's car. Gotta put it up. Gets it away. In the corner. Touchdown. When I was a kid, the Ohio State-Michigan game was like ping pong. It was kind of back and forth. Nice high kick. Got a little wind under it. And then Michigan kind of had the upper hand. Oh, my goodness. One man. Hello, Heisman. That 1995 game in Ann Arbor, Tim Biakabatuka ran for like 300 yards, and Ohio State was heavily favored, and they lost. Terry Glenn, can he get it? Picked off. Give Woodson some love. Give it to him now. I mean, that's heartache. Those moments where you're just like, we're definitely going to win, and then your heart's just ripped out. John Cooper has seen this series become the bane of his tenure at Ohio State. John Cooper, he's in the College Football Hall of Fame for his coaching. 
Ohio State fired him because he couldn't beat Michigan. The Ohio State Buckeyes lose their first game of the season. The Ohio State fans didn't think he took it serious. Well, John's a great coach, and he obviously took it very serious, but it's one of those things when you start losing it, the pressure builds so much, it's hard to overcome it. Ladies and gentlemen, the search is over. We have a brand new head football coach at Ohio State. Jim Tressel saw that when he came in. I can assure you that you'll be proud of our young people in the classroom, in the community, and most especially in 310 days in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on the football field. He wanted those Ohio State fans to understand, okay, I got it. Fires in zone, intercepted. Let's party, Columbus. Jim Trussell lost just one time to Michigan in 10 years. But that's still one more loss than Urban Meyer had in a seven-year run at Ohio State, went undefeated against Michigan. Running all the way and scoring, standing up. I think there was a lot of hope for Michigan when Jim Harbaugh got hired there. I can't imagine a more deflating chapter to a rivalry. Harbaugh never beat Ohio State under Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer retired shortly after beating him, you know, putting up 62 points on his team in a game that Michigan was favored to win. Now there's an issue in the media because Jim Harbaugh can't beat Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh hasn't been able to get wins against rivals. And the team is better than they were before he got there. And everybody recognizes that. And yet it's, when are you going to beat Ohio State? The earliest rivalries were, by necessity, neighbor versus neighbor. And as passenger travel became more sophisticated, teams were able to travel farther distances to play. Ready to trample the opposition, the Notre Dame football team trots out for its 65th season. Notre Dame was the first great example of they're going to go get on a train and go play USC in LA or go to New York and play Army. And during the regular season, we get to see some great intersectional games. The West Point cadets are out in full force in this meeting with an unbeaten Irish squad. Notre Dame was a barnstorming team all the way around the country, so everybody got to see him, and we weren't associated with any other conference. The Sooners didn't go undefeated. In the year's outstanding gridiron upset, the Fighting Irish scored the only touchdown. Notre Dame did want to be part of a conference. They got turned away. What they did do with that is they turned those lemons into lemonade, where they were able to make their own schedule that became that national schedule, where you would see Notre Dame in California every other year. You'd see him in New York City every other year, and it built that brand. A touchdown, can win it. Montana stands up, throws, Hallahan, touchdown! Notre Dame has so many rivals because everybody wants to beat the University of Notre Dame. In most cases, a lot of universities will play the University of Notre Dame, and that will be the game that makes or breaks their season. If you can beat the University of Notre Dame, you have something to sell to someone else. At Lafayette, Indiana, Notre Dame faces Purdue, one of their toughest rivals. It's the first big test of the season for the Irish. Purdue was the in-state rivalry. The game meant less nationally than the others did, but Southern Cal was really the biggest rivalry because it had the longest history. 
Notre Dame's famous handwriting to Seymour passing combination is intercepted five times by the Trojans, who are seeking their fourth straight win and their first in 28 years at South Bend. Southern Cal is this big school from out west. The western culture in America is different than the culture in the Midwest. It all made for a nice juxtaposition of Americans. Undefeated Notre Dame, this year the most talked about collegiate powerhouse in the country, risks its number one ranking and chances for a national championship against Southern California at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. When Notre Dame would come out west, it's a place where national championship seasons would die. With slightly more than two minutes remaining, Craig Furtick fires the shot that kills Notre Dame and gives Southern California one of its greatest victories ever. USC is always able to blemish Notre Dame in their history. And Davis, two yards deep in the end zone, will bring it back. The wedge gets him to the 20, he breaks it at the 25. Here goes Anthony Davis for 102 yards and a touchdown! And then all of a sudden in the 80s, Notre Dame gets on this winning streak. Here's Chris Spurl's punt, nice and high. Tim Brown is back at the 28. I was fortunate enough to be at Notre Dame right in the middle of the run versus USC. Tim Brown does a marvelous job of getting his team in position to win the football game. My freshman, sophomore year, we were not a good football team until we played USC. Feedback, good protection. This pass is away. Somebody would always make that play, make that extra play that wasn't being made versus Michigan or Michigan State or Purdue, but it was being made versus USC. They just don't lose to USC until 1996 in the Coliseum. Three wide receivers to the left. Hollis. Deflected. Southern Cal wins it in overtime. The Trojans have done it. Their first win over Lou Holtz and the Fighting Irish. Since 1982, a huge moment. I was there that night, and to see the tears in the eyes as I'm looking at these USC people, God bless them. People crying over football shows you how much rivalries mean. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. He got in. Touchdown, SC! There are these moments that transcend the game itself, that just launch rivalries into a completely different stratosphere. The band is on the field for Cal Stanford. So the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rogers along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of, the ball is still loose as they get it to Rogers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. All the band is out of the field. He's going to go into the end zone. Fifty-six yarder. It's got no. Does not have the leg. Kick six is one of the greatest nicknames for a game, and I hear Rod Bramblett in my head. There goes Davis. Oh my God! Auburn's going to win the football game. Never in all my days have I seen anything like that. If you go in the bookstore at certain universities, there are paintings of the moment, like the moment that is the moment in the history of your program. Ole Miss pops, Gibbs kicks deep to the Tiger territory. All-American Billy Cannon takes it on the 11 and runs a gauntlet of Mississippi tacklers. It's an underrated rivalry in the history of college football, Ole Miss and LSU. Billy Cannon's Halloween run in 59 
You go into a lot of living rooms in the state of Louisiana, and there's paintings of it. There's screen grabs from old film. That's the one that if you were there, you've told everyone. And if you weren't there, you've told everyone you were there anyway. Florida leading Georgia 21 to 20 with 125. Georgia and Florida was a rivalry before 1980, and it's been a rivalry since. But what people remember is Buck Ballou, 93 yards to Lindsey Scott catapulting Georgia to a national championship. Got a block behind him, gonna throw on a run, complete to the 25, to the 30, Lindsey's got 35, 40, Lindsey's got 45, 50, 45, 40, run, Lindsey, 25, 20, 50, 10, 5, Lindsey's got, Lindsey's got, Lindsey's got. Man, is there gonna be some property destroyed tonight. Who do you hate? You hate the team you respect. Who do you want to beat the most? The team that would matter the most if you did beat them. A year ago, it was only a bitter loss at the hands of the Hurricanes up in Tallahassee that prevented Bobby Bowden and the Seminoles from winding up the national champion. When I was at the University of Miami, the top teams were Florida State, Miami, Florida. And so you get rivalries. Tested Verde needs 20 yards. Throws deep. He's got it. Michael Irvin. Well, the interesting thing about a rivalry in a state like Florida is you have so many talented players in this one area. They all played each other in high school. Hating each other is in their blood. This game, this is pretty simple here. This is just dislike. This is chomp versus chop. Werfel lets it go again. marked it on the calendar. <laughs> okay, we played Florida the first game out of the box. Okay. Yeah, I know this guy, this guy, this guy. The Florida State. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go off that game. This is the most effective way to stop any quarterback. Get in his face real quick. One point. It's always one damn point. And it's always Miami. 34-yard try. This could be for a national championship. It's up. I watched wide right one, wide right two. Lowry hit it, long enough. He missed it to the right. I was there for wide right three. He's got the distance. He does not have the kick. Miami has won. The emotion in those games, the talent, the way that they all came down to the wire. In that heyday, there wasn't anything better than Miami, Florida State. From the Louisiana Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana, it's the Southern University Jaguars against the Grambling Tigers. My experiences around football, especially historically black colleges and universities, rivalries are huge. There's a whole circuit of these all-black schools, what people now call HBCUs. It was like the Negro Leagues in baseball. And being down here for the first time, talking to people, you realize it's like a sports culture extravaganza. But it goes back to a day when black kids couldn't go to predominantly white universities, so this was their outlet. Southern and Grambling in the state of Louisiana pushed together. LSU wasn't going to play them. Tulane at that time wasn't going to play them. So they're going to butt heads all the time. And that rivalry, especially when you think about who was coaching those teams, Ace Mumford, the legendary coach at Southern. Of course, Eddie Robinson at Grambling. Second and goal. Parham it is. Touchdown. Grambling's team was, I mean, they were just incredible. They would just mow you down on the football field. But when it came to the bands, 
There was nothing better than Southern, the marching band from Jaguar land. If you go to a historically black college or university, they'll tell you halftime is game time. Classics are so much more than a football game. Camaraderie, fellowship, the sororities, the fraternities, the band. It's your chance to show off why I'm better than you, and our team is better than your team. May is going to give to his back. He's going to be close to the end zone, and he's in it. Rivalries have such roots to them, and you never know what really is going to spark some of them. Tennessee against unbeaten Alabama, and the Volunteers score first. At Tennessee, our biggest rival is Alabama. Tennessee upsets Alabama 24-13, ending a two-year, 25-game unbeaten streak. If you go all the way back to when Southern football was looking for a way to emerge, farming, poverty, how people viewed the Southern part of the country, well, you can have a debate, you can do whatever you want, all this nuclear science, but when you put a ball on a tee every third Saturday in October, we're just as good as you are. Alabama throws wide open. Those specific games, the game is just part of this larger conflict. In 1863, there was a bitter Civil War battle fought in Kansas City between the Confederates and the Union forces. 30 years later, in 1893, within miles of where that battle was fought, Missouri and Kansas played football. Victory formation for Mizzou. The border belongs to the Tigers. Those things are something that people just look forward to every year. This is our game. Ben Rappos rolling. Looks back. Now he's under some pressure. Now he throws. Intercepted in the end zone. Chuck Cecil with the longest interception return in Arizona history. Back in the 70s, Arizona State was trying to become an official college of the state like Arizona was. And it needed to become chartered through the government. And the University of Arizona blocked that. And that really added to that rivalry. Scott slant, intercepted. It's another pick for Arizona State. There's a lot of rivalries that have something that they exchange. Some little trophy that they go for. It is more fun to think a football game matters more because teams are competing for a brown jug. Minnesota took the jug home last year with a 22 to nothing victory sparked by the great Paul Gale. And you can bet the Wolverines are gunning to get it back on their trophy shelf this year. The little brown jug rivalry between Michigan and Minnesota, those coaches hated each other so much. One assumed the other was poisoning their water, and so he brought his own water in the little brown jug. After the game, Michigan's student manager forgot the water jug. Michigan says, please send us our water jug. Minnesota says, come back and get it. So all of a sudden, it became a trophy. When Minnesota beat Michigan in 2005 in Ann Arbor, it was the first time in many years that the Gophers had won. They get off the plane in Minneapolis, and Glenn Mason, the Gopher coach, 
takes the jug straight to the nicest restaurant in downtown Minneapolis, and the whole place goes crazy. The Big Ten title is on the line at Madison as Wisconsin meets Minnesota. You know, I covered the Wisconsin-Minnesota game, and I actually spent a weekend with Paul Bunyan's axe. I was with the axe on Friday night. I was with the axe as they put it to bed in the hotel and carried it around the student managers and into the locker room. You, you don't get that in other sports. They're important only because of the symbol that they represent, that you've beaten your arch rival. It won't feed you. It won't house you. It won't do anything for you except make you think, I'm one of them and we're better than you. <laughs> We talk about trophies and rivalries all the time, but there's a special place in heaven for those people who pull off the great college football pranks. How often do the mascots get stolen these days? I hear it's happened uh, in the past. Security is tight these days. Security is tight. Mules haven't been stolen since back in the early 70s, I believe. Students are doing a double take and taking out their cell phones at UCLA. Why do you pull off pranks? I think it gets back to we're going to outdo you. We're going to humiliate you. I mean, that's the essence of, of any great prank. What do you think of Yale, sir? We all want to pull off the prank against our rival. I tried it in high school, I tried it in college, totally unsuccessful. Had I gone to Yale, perhaps, I would have been smart enough to pull that off. What houses? Before the game, the Yale students acted like a pep squad for Harvard. They passed out 1,800 placards, you know, either red or white, crimson or white to all the Harvard alums and their mink coats and whatnot. The Harvard faithful pull those place cards out and they hold them up. And instead of, we're the best, we're number one, Harvard's awesome, it says, we suck. You suck, you suck, you suck. That is the greatest prank of all time. One that resonated with me was Auburn, Georgia Tech in the 1890s. Georgia Tech is coming into Auburn and the students grease the rails at the Auburn station. So Georgia Tech's train ended up gliding several miles west of Auburn. The Georgia Tech team had to then hike back to the stadium. You know, the Auburn administration was humiliated and furious. The legend was always that the Auburn coach, John Heisman, was watching from not too afar with a smile on his face. What a rivalry at any level has in common with Auburn, Alabama, or Ohio State, Michigan, is the passion that the players have, the alumni have. You can talk about all the great traditions at all the marquee programs, but at Williams Amherst, when Williams wins the game, the team leaves the stadium, walks out, walks down the street into the main street of the town and goes to the barber shop. There was a beauty in it. Part of the beauty was they had done it for a long time, but if you were just present in that moment and took in what it meant to those guys to win that game, it's one of the highlights of 30 years in the sport. Let me tell you something. Before you die, you've got to go to an Army-Navy game. You go in about 10 o'clock in the morning, and watch the brigade mark in. 10.30, in comes the Naval Academy. Then the goat, then the mule, then the president, then the game. The Army-Navy game is the only game where the 22 guys on the field, they're willing to put their lives on the line for everybody else that's watching. Army-Navy, 
have a loyalty and connection with fans that go above and beyond being part of the same state, being part of the same region. These are not guys going to the NFL. They're going to serve the country. There's a purity to what goes on when those two teams meet each year in December. Navy's brilliant passer, Roger Staubach, tosses 11 passes and makes the important ones count. When I first got to the academy, they made sure that you, you, you got the right kind of haircut and you said beat Army. And then, so those are the things you learned immediately. We've got signs up in our building, probably nothing short of 100 different places where it says beat Navy in our building. And we walk by it every day. We got two teams that are laying everything on the line because for a lot of them it's the last game. We play a different brand of football. It's tough, it's hard-nosed football. Now he tucks it and he runs it and he gets a block and he got a first down. It's old school football. Running, the weather's normally bad. It's a really physical, emotional game. Navy will long remember this day. After the game, the two teams get together and they sing their alma mater in front of the losing team first. And then they turn around and both go over and sing the alma mater of the winning team. That's what rivalry should be. Rogers deep for Nebraska. Here's Wiley's kick. It's high. It holds up there. Rogers. Takes the ball at the 30. He's hit and got away. Back up field at the 35. He's in the 50 to the 45. To the 40 to the 35. To the 20. He's all the way home. Holy moly. Man, woman, and child did that. Put him in the aisle. Sadly, not all great rivalries last forever. And we think that they're going to in the heat of the moment. You think you're always going to have that. Take a quick look at Nebraska, Oklahoma. Northern looking to throw. Loops one out. It's coming in the area of Harrison. He has it. Nebraska, Oklahoma is one of the great rivalries in college football. It's one of the great rivalries in sports. They present to our offense the greatest challenge all year that we'll face. And of course, to our defense, it's the greatest offensive challenge that'll ever be faced us. We had a great rivalry with them, and I was fortunate enough to win a lot of those games in that era in the 70s and 80s. On first down, Locke keeps it. Gives it back. Uh, he caught out. He caught out. He caught Goodbye. 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 I'm going to tell you something. There's no magic today. We won this thing from start to finish for four quarters. We dominated this football game. Our offense and our defense. Welcome back to Sports Center. A developing story here surrounding conference realignment. A Big 12 executive has told the Omaha World Herald that Nebraska could decide to join the Big 10 as early as Friday. Nebraska would first need a formal invitation. If you had told somebody at the height of the Osborne-Switzer rivalry that there would come a day in the not-too-distant future where Nebraska and Oklahoma weren't even in the same league, much less not play one another, they would think, why would anybody do that? But... Yeah, business is business, and that's what happened. Conferences were initially started geographically, and for these guys not to play each other, that is a crime. Nebraska jumped conferences seeking opportunity, whether it was TV contract, being part of the amateur union in terms of academics. Now, if you're not in the same conference, you don't have the same reason to battle each and every year. Back when I was growing up, Pitt was an independent. So was Penn State, so was Syracuse, so was Boston College, so was West Virginia. 
And those schools would play every year, and it would develop these great rivalries. The Pitt Panthers have pulled a stunning upset over the West Virginia Mountaineers and denied them a place in a national championship. With realignment, we've lost those, and I think we may see more of that. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks a hole. Williams, hello, record book. Ricky Williams runs to the Hall of Fame, cuts back. Ricky Williams, touchdown! Texas and Texas A&M are now in different conferences. The same thing holds with Missouri and Kansas. So they now are somewhat dictated by the conference schedule. History is something that can't be constructed. You can't make something up. It just has to happen, and then enough time passes, and it's like, well, we just accept this. BYU at Utah. The Beehive Trophy splits families and produces some vicious hits. The BYU-Utah series is called the Holy War. We call it the Holy War because it's about religion. Most BYU football fans are Mormon. I grew up as a Mormon. We were BYU fans. As a kid, my dad would tell me stuff like, oh, those Utah fans have been drinking. They're saying profanity in the stands. That's not how you should act at a college football game. The good people versus the bad people is how they frame it in your mind growing up. The partiers versus the preachers. It divides families. Like, my sister lives and breathes and dies BYU football. Her husband lives and breathes and dies Utah football. They are fighting for the souls of their children. Let's it go! Find this guy! Touchdown! BYU! They win it! Five in a row won't happen! I think anytime you talk about a rivalry, if one's beating the other one all the time, uh, that's not a rivalry. If you got two teams and they're going back and forth... And into the end zone for the touchdown. That's a rivalry. This is 52 yards into the breeze. Not strong, but there's some. The kick is up. It's long enough, and it's good. Coach Ray Perkins once said in the mid-'80s, if you lose this game, you essentially have to hang your head in shame for 364 days. Going to be the last play, barring a penalty. The throw might end up being a touchdown. Not going to get there. That didn't happen at the end of the 2017 season. Alabama lost the Alabama-Auburn game, still made the playoffs, still won the national championship. Fires to the end zone, touchdown! Alabama wins! It just shows you that in the current world of college football, rivalries have lessened in importance a little bit because you can still get around them. But don't try it too often. If you look in the past in college football, it really was this regional battle. Go back to fire for it. They went for it all. Touchdown, Michigan. Now when you look at it, winning football games, having to be the other's obstacle to a championship matters in creating a rivalry. What a ball game. You can breathe again, Bama fans. The playoff era is interesting because it's created a new rivalry, and that's Alabama and Clemson. Watson, touchdown! You've seen two schools with no traditional affiliation. And Alabama gets the win. Meet each other on the biggest stage possible. The Tigers reclaim their crown by crushing Alabama. The 
they trying to get to Texas, Texas A&M, getting back up. Michigan, Michigan State, Georgia, Florida, Georgia, Auburn. I can't explain why, but it's just so important. We've had some magic on third down the last three games or so. He stops back to throw into the corner. He does it again. Touchdown, left front corner of the end zone. Rivalries can't go away in this sport. It's just what we're programmed to do. I can't stand Stanford. The ability to affix all your problems and hatred and blame all of your issues on one school or team, that's not going away. Not only are we not you, we're better than you. We're gonna kick your, you know what, in front of thousands of people. For the time, block, Arizona State wins it. Allen, touchdown for the win. Mississippi attack. It's not life or death, but it's, <laughs> it's life or death. <laughs>